0: While the weather worked in our favor, I can think of no better thing to do than to gather inside right now and listen to words of exhortation. As Brother Brad alluded to, our speaker this evening will be, or this afternoon, will be our brother Kevin Stark, and he will be reading out of the 8th chapter of Zechariah. Reading out of Zechariah chapter 8, verses 22 through 23 in the NIV reads, And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat Him. This is what the Lord Almighty says, In those days ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, Let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. After the reading, we turn our thoughts and attention to our brother Kevin Stark. Words of exhortation. Everybody got me? Brother Ben Scroggin reminded me a minute ago that uh, this is nap time for a lot of people, so I better keep it interesting. <clears throat> I hope it is interesting. I'm going to start out with a a quick story. A couple years ago, I was actually at the La Luce gathering. Uh, I sat down with a brother I've got a good deal of respect for, and I, I was asking him. You know, I'm going through this stage in my life where... Um, kids and family and work and you know you're shuffling a lot of things and my question to him was how do you keep your spiritual focus with all this stuff going on and I thought that was a pretty detailed question and so I kind of sat back and waited for a long answer and uh, I didn't get one all that he told me was you are my witnesses and so that's what we're going to talk about this morning is uh, the fact that with the nation of Israel we have a witness to the power of God's plan and, and the fact that this Plan of Redemption is in motion, so we're going to take a look at uh, the nation of Israel and some of you know the Jewish people and things that we as a community hold fast to. Um, in our bookstore this week, I picked up this pamphlet, "Israel: The Nucleus of God's Marvelous Plan on the Earth and for Man Upon It." Uh, if you walk over here to our card table, there's someone has printed out some different. Uh, Internet articles relating to the nation of Israel and what's going on in the Middle East. So my goal in the next 30, 45 minutes is to kind of uplift and edify each of us in the fact that we do have a plan in motion uh, and that we understand Israel's role and the importance of that plan. What makes this subject important to us? In the nation of Israel, God has chosen a vessel to reveal himself. An understanding of Israel's past, present, and future affirms the Bible is true and a plan of salvation exists and it truly is in motion. If prophetic events regarding the nation have occurred and are proven facts, what can we expect in the days to come? We understand that this belief differentiates us from a lot of mainstream Christianity. Uh, we have as a, a community and a body of believers this conviction that, In the hope of Israel. And I would define that as the belief in Christ's return to the earth, taking his rightful position on David's throne, and establishing a kingdom in the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Brother Thomas Williams, in his work, The World's Redemption, said There is nothing in the world that is a more powerful proof of the divinity of the Bible than Israel's history and present existence. The Bible is a book of miracles, Israel is a nation of miracles. Many of you have maybe heard of this idea of replacement theology um, in in the mainstream Christian world. The idea that Israel failed and that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. And, of course, we know that that is simply not true. Post-baptism, we become children of the promise and heirs according to the promise. We are spiritual Israel and able to partake of all the applicable rewards. So the topics we're going to go through this evening, we're going to quickly look at the beginning of the nation. I think we all know kind of the background um, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're going to take a look at the fact that Israel is God's chosen people, and we're going to look at verses uh, that detail that out. They are a special treasure to the Almighty. We're going to look at the purpose of a chosen people. If God has, in fact, called out a people, what is that purpose? And we'll see in there that, in fact, they are a witness of the one true God. We'll take a look at some prophetic verses regarding the scattering and regathering of the nation. Uh, We'll look at the chronology of modern Israel, and then we'll dive into some present-day events, Um, Israel and the nations, the Islamic threat, the international community. So to get us started here, the beginning of the nation, the covenant with Abraham, a foundation pillar for all of us. Genesis chapter 17, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations, and I will establish my covenant between me and you for an everlasting covenant. Also I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And we see earlier on in Genesis chapter 15 that this land was defined from the river of Egypt, or the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates. Jacob's name, as we know, becomes Israel while struggling with the angel, and that account is in Genesis chapter 32. He said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed, and possibly this foreshadows the history of this people, a history of struggle and tribulation. But our expectation is that there will be a remnant that does, in fact, prevail. A chosen people. Exodus chapter 2. Prior to the Exodus from Egypt, these words are spoken starting at verse 23. The children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God acknowledged them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers, which He swore to them. To you it was shown that you might know the Lord Himself as God. There is none other beside Him. And because He loved your fathers, therefore He chose their descendants after them. It was of God's choosing couple chapters over in Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 6 through 8. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people. For you were the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers. Deuteronomy ten fifteen. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them. He chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. A couple other references here. Psalm 135, verse 4. The Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. Romans 9, verse 4. Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises And lastly, Acts chapter 3, verse 25. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So a lot of allusions in those verses to covenants, oaths that God has made. Um, The nation of Israel is without question a focal point of Scripture and chosen by God to be a special treasure. Covenants have been made which God will not forget. So I guess the next question is, if we can determine that, in fact, God has chosen a specific people, what is the purpose of this choosing? And I think we see that in Isaiah chapter 43 and 44, where it says in verse 10, you are my witnesses, says the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me. And I think that's key and understand that I am he. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord that I am God. Chapter 44, verse 8, Have I not told you from the time and declared it, you are my witnesses, is there a God beside me? And if we look up the dictionary definition of a witness, it is one which testifies to the authenticity of a document or a signature, etc. Israel, in my opinion, and I would think in our opinion as a community, testifies to the authenticity that God exists. And we see that this occurs all through the Bible. In Bible times, Israel was a living witness to the surrounding peoples. The plagues of Exodus, the, the Egyptians saw the power of the God of Israel. Uh, in the times of the deliverers and judges, the peoples and the nations that Israel went up against saw the power of the God of Israel. Uh, the times of the kings, we see that as well. And we have a good example in First Kings chapter 10, where the queen of Sheba Visits Solomon, and it says in verse 9: Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Israel's purpose is to be a witness of the one true God and to manifest his glory. And so the question comes up: Is Israel today a witness of the one true God? And we take a look at some verses, uh, some prophetic verses that detail out the scattering and the regathering of this nation. Um, Present day signs of God's plan via Israel. The Bible is prolific in teaching the scattering and later regathering of the Jewish peoples to the land of promise. And what I think is key for us is that this is to happen prior to Messiah's return and I think that's why we get excited and we look at so many of the events taking place in the Middle East because we understand that this is these are signs prior to Messiah's return scattering of the nation Jeremiah 24 I will deliver them to trouble into all the kingdoms of the earth for their harm to be a reproach and a byword a taunt and a curse in all places where I will drive them and I will send the sword and famine and the pestilence among them till they are consumed from the land that I gave to them and to their fathers. Ezekiel chapter 12, starting in verse 10. So say to them, Thus says the Lord God, this burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem and all the house of Israel who are among them. Say, I am a sign to you, as I have done, so shall it be done to them. They shall be carried away into captivity. I will scatter to every wind all who are around to help him and all his troops. I will draw out the sword after them. They shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. Christ says in Luke chapter 21, They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Another quote here from Brother Thomas Williams uh, commenting on the scattering of Israel. He says, Israel's sad experience and fulfillment of these prophecies has been really and bitterly literal, driven into captivity among all nations of the earth. The prophecies apply to a real nation having a real existence, and their existence in the scattered state foretold is a reality today. There is no room for misunderstanding. That was written back in the late 1800s, 1898. We see throughout this scattering that the identity of the nation and the people was never lost. And I think that's foretold as well in Jeremiah 31, verse 36. If those ordinances depart from me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. If heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Well, we know that heaven can't be measured. We know that the earth cannot be searched out beneath. Um, A very non-scriptural quote here, but I thought it was good. Mark Twain made the comment one time that the Jew has stood at the graveside of all his persecutors, meaning the Jewish people have seen great adversity and they've maintained their national identity. They've always come out of it. So this... As we go through the scattering, we see, as Thomas Williams said, that it was literally and bitterly true. Um, we should really get excited about the regathering and the verses that talk about the regathering. And I know this is nothing new for anyone, um, but it's you know hopefully something that motivates and really edifies us as a body. Albert Hall, in his book, From Eden to Eden, had this to say. Regarding the regathering, none can deny the reality of the scattering and the fulfillment of the voice of prophecy in regard to the dispersion of Israel and Judah. Even though Israel kept not the covenant of God and refused to walk in his law and forgot his works and believed not in God and trusted not in his salvation, nevertheless the Lord said of and unto them, You are my witnesses. Down through the ages has this been true of them. They've borne witness to the truth of the word of God. And today as we look upon their historic trail, seeing the hand of all nations turned against and upon them, we cannot fail to see that witness. But when we see, do we appreciate it? Surely it tells us that as God has so literally and effectively fulfilled his word in bringing to pass the evil or the scattering, so surely will he do in the future what he has decreed and promised. For not only were the Jews to be scattered among the nations of the earth, but the promise having been given, so must it come to pass. The Jews are to be restored to their own land. So let's look at some verses that tell of this regathering. Jeremiah chapter 16. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. It shall no more be said, The Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of Egypt, But the Lord lives who brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north and from the land where he had driven them. For I will bring them back into their land which I gave to their fathers. This foretells of a future event more significant than the exodus from Egypt, which is arguably the monumental event in Jewish history. Isaiah 11. Assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Isaiah 43. Verses 1 through 7. Thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and who formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, Whom I have created for my glory. I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Another one here in Ezekiel. Chapter 20, verse 34. uh, Skipping to 41. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you're scattered. I will accept you as a sweet aroma when I bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you've been scattered. Probably the most notable of these prophecies regarding regathering is in Ezekiel 37, the dry bones prophecy. Um, I'll I'll pluck a couple verses out of this chapter, beginning at verse 4. Again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Surely I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you. Cover you with skin and put breath in you, and you shall live. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. And we ask what is represented by these bones, and the answer is given to us. Verse 11, He said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. I will put my spirit in you, and you shall live. I will place you in your own land. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord. Some additional verses regarding the regathering of Israel that we're probably familiar with. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos 9, Micah 4, Zephaniah, Zechariah. It's a theme throughout Scripture. So if we say that the regathering is the events after World War One and World War II, which sent Jews back to the land and in 1948 created the nation of Israel as we know it today, the key point to us, again, is that we expect Messiah's return to be linked with Jews being restored to the land of promise. But this is something that's always intrigued me a little bit, um, and it's a bit of an aside, but the return of Elijah the prophet, the last verses of the Old Testament, um, in Malachi chapter four, verse five says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And we know that this was partially fulfilled in reference to John the Baptist in Matthew chapter seventeen, who was sent to preach repentance at Christ's first advent. Can we expect another prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord to call for repentance? And I've heard different brothers talk about, you know, maybe it is the actual prophet Elijah resurrected and sent to preach to Israel. Uh, I've heard other brothers say that it's a prophet like Elijah and the spirit of Elijah that goes into the nation. Uh, but it's interesting to kind of meditate on these things that could happen. Let's change gears a little bit here and go into some of the chronology of modern day Israel. We'll look at some of the key dates uh, in the nation being formed. John 4. 14, verse 29, we often refer to it as the prophetic principle. Christ says, and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And again, I think that's what we see with the nation of Israel is this nation, this witness to God and something that we can have hope in uh, and, and establish a firm belief that God exists and that there is a plan working. Let's review events creating the current nation of Israel or the regathering. In the late 1800s, due to discrimination and continued persecution throughout the world, Jews began to migrate to what they called Eretz Israel, or the Land of Israel. And in 1897, uh, the first Zionist Congress was held. The gentleman named Theodore Herzl kind of quarterbacked the deal. Um, and, and somebody correct me on this after lecture, but I think there was actually seven or eight Zionist Congress that took place. The first was in 1897. And what happened at the Zionist Congress is that there was a blueprint created, and Jews worldwide began to organize. Zionism uh, became a notable term, an international Jewish movement with the goal of creating a Jewish national state in Palestine, the ancient homeland of the Jews. In 1917, with the advent of World War I, the Balfour Declaration came about, and this was Um, a declaration that said the British government views with favor the establishment in Palestine of a national home for the Jewish people. Uh, And I found this in an article that I thought was very interesting. Back in 1849, which would be 68 years before the Balfour Declaration was issued, uh, Dr. Thomas had this to say in Elpis, Israel. He said, The Jewish colonists will return in unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus and of the truth as it is in him. They will immigrate hither as agriculturalists and traders in the hope of ultimately establishing their commonwealth under the efficient protection of the British power. So 68 years before the Balfour Declaration and and Great Britain said, we're going to view with favor the establishment in Palestine of a home for the Jewish people, um, Dr. Thomas had called out that this would take place. And I'll point out where I found that quote, there was also other quotes from, Um, from Bible scholars, I believe, dating back to the 1600s, 1700s, um, that these men had also um, read prophecy and believed that Britain would somehow have a part in Israel coming back into the land. So it wasn't just specific to Dr. Thomas. 1947-48, World War II. Palestine is partitioned. The Arab-Jewish war erupts. Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion declares the Jewish state May Fourteenth, 1948, I'm sure a date that um, many of us has heard and, and uh, put a lot of emphasis on. It's been called the most outstanding fulfillment of Bible prophecy since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, a quote I found that I liked said, World War I prepared the land for the people with the Balfour Declaration. World War Two prepared the people for the land with the events of the Holocaust and all the persecution that was taking place Um, Throughout the world, the Jewish people were looking um, for a place to go. Another date that has uh, some importance to us, 1967, the Six-Day War. Israel takes Jerusalem. Scripturally, Jerusalem is called out as Mount Zion, the city of the great king. Psalm 132 says, For the Lord has chosen Zion, he has desired it for His dwelling place. Um, let's do a little, a little ponder study here. If we look at the significance of this event regarding Christ's return, uh, we look at the parable of the fig tree in Matthew chapter 24. Um, I think it's fair to say that the fig tree is Israel. A generation, I think, scripturally, we can pull out as about 40 years. Um, if we ponder some dates here, 1917, the Balfour Declaration, we add 40 years to that, we get 1957, we know that nothing happened, Christ did not return. 1948, the State of Israel is declared, we add 40 years to that, we get 1988, and I remember as a, as a young boy the, um, the way that people reacted as, as 1988 got closer, uh, and, the, and the joy and the you know, kind of the emotion that was being created around that date. But we know that nothing happened in 1988. So what about 1967 when uh, Zion, which the Lord has chosen, was taken by the nation of Israel? We add 40 years to that. We get 2007. Uh, again, a lot of question marks after that because we understand that it says in Matthew chapter 24 that of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But it's it's fun and it's interesting and it's probably a study we should do to try to keep our minds motivated on when Christ could return. Let's take a look now at present-day Israel and the nations. Brother Edward Fair, back in 1997, said this, It would appear that the present-day Islamic threat to Israel, along with the abandonment of Israel by the international community, is setting the stage for the second coming of Christ and the resurrection of the dead saints. Israel and the nations Matthew 24 <coughs> Excuse me starting at verse 6 you will hear of wars and rumors of wars see that you are not troubled for all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet for nation will rise against nation kingdom against kingdom all these are the beginning of sorrows they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, for then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And, you know, these verses here could be an entire lecture or class in and of themselves. But I think it's interesting to see that, you know, the wars and rumors of wars, the, the fact that they will be hated by all nations, the tribulation. Uh, and we know that after these things come to pass, we will see Christ return. I'm going to start out with some stuff on the Islamic threat, and I will preface all of this by saying I'm I'm a young brother in the truth. I'm just now kind of getting into some prophecy, uh, and it's it's taking old some interest. Um, I think it's very interesting to look at kind of how the Islamic nations are are dealing with Israel, and then of course we know that you have verses talking about the kings of the north and you know Russia, Europe, some of these other nations. I guess my goal here would just be to lay out some of the things that are happening present day and the fact that they should invigorate us and give us interest in what's going on. The Islamic threat, Ezekiel 35, prophecy against Mount Seir and all Edom, i.e. the Arab enemy of Israel. Verse 5, because you've had an ancient hatred and have shed the blood of the children of Israel, and of course we know that the hatred is ancient. Um, You know, Jacob and Esau is probably where we could date this back to. Verse 14 and 15, thus says the Lord, the whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate as you rejoice because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. Quotable quotes, we can just about open any news periodical, um, turn on our evening news and we can hear things like this. These two quotes are a little outdated, but I think they um, give us the, the hint of what's going on. Quotable Arab quotes, we will not lay down our weapons until complete liberation. Sooner or later, we will throw the Zionists into the sea. Um, That was commander of the PLO forces in Lebanon back in 1993. Jean Kirkpatrick, who was the former U.S. ambassador to the U.N., said this about the PLO. She said, the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, I think that name says a lot, was created for the specific purpose of destroying the Jewish state and replacing it with a Palestinian state. Here's another one. The Jews came and attacked this land, modern-day Israel, and stole it, and this will not change the fact this land is Muslim. We have to work until the time comes, and then we will bring it back to the Islamic world. If you look at the Palestinian National Charter that was drafted in 1968, Uh, The articles in there are pretty detailed as to how they feel about Israel. Article 9, armed struggle is the only way to liberate Palestine or remove Israel. Article 20, the Balfour Declaration, the mandate for Palestine, and everything that has been based upon them are deemed null and void. Article 23, the demand of security and peace require all states to consider Zionism an illegitimate movement and to outlaw its existence. We know that one of the recent events that just happened in the Mideast is that Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, came to power, um, legitimately came to power, and I use the word legitimately very lightly. Um, here's an article that came into the local paper just after that happened. It says, Hamas, which calls for the elimination of Israel, trounced Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas's Fatah party in legislative elections last month, Um, Israeli leaders have taken a tough stance toward Hamas, ruling out any talks with the group unless it renounces violence, recognizes Israel, and accepts existing agreements between Israel and Palestine. What about Iran? We hear a lot about Iran these days in the news, and a lot of it centers around this question. What is Iran doing which is stirring up the international community? Y'all, y'all can say something. What's Iran doing right now that's stirring everybody up? They're amongst other things, <laughs> amongst some of the comments from their leader, they're pursuing nuclear technology. Um, I've read reports which say anywhere between two thousand and seven and two thousand and eleven they may have operational an operational nuclear bomb, uh, at least something they could stick in a suitcase. How will Israel react, I think, is a valid question. Well, we remember back in 1981 that Iraq threatened Israel with nuclear technology, and Israel's prime minister, uh, Menachem Begin, bombed Iraq, or bombed the nuclear facilities, and gave Israel two decades of peace. Iranian President Mohammad Ahmadinejad, and I probably practiced saying that name more than any other part of this lecture this week, Ahmadinejad, Here's some here's some notable quotes from this gentleman. We ask the West to remove what they created 60 years ago, and if they do not listen to our recommendations, the Palestinian nation and other nations will eventually do this for them. Anybody who recognizes Israel will burn in the fire of the Islamic nation's fury. The skirmishes in the occupied land are part of the war of destiny. The outcome of hundreds of years of war will be defined In Palestinian land, Israel must be wiped off the map of the world. Israel is a tyrannical regime that will one day be destroyed. Uh, And lastly here, he says, We are ready to hold dialogue with all countries of the world except for the Israeli regime. There was an Arab conference recently that this gentleman, I I shouldn't even use the word gentleman, that uh, Admin Benajab spoke at. I don't know if you all can see. He's actually standing at the podium and the the topic of the conference was the world without Zionism. And he said at that conference, the occupational regime of Israel must be wiped off from the map of the world. To those who doubt, to those who ask, is it possible or those who do not believe, I say accomplishment of a world without America and Israel is both possible and feasible. And again, this is a country that is pursuing nuclear technology. A book I read recently titled Jerusalem Countdown um, had a quote from an Israeli leader close to strategic matters answering the question, will Israel bomb Iran between April and September of 2006? And, of course, we sit in the middle of those dates, July of 2006. And uh, this Israeli leader answered that question, I believe so. It is not Israel's international obligation to commit national suicide, Um, interpreted, we are here to defend ourselves. We will defend ourselves. We will do what we need to. Here's something I pulled off the Internet um, about a month ago. Syria interested in buying Iranian arms. Syria has expressed interest in purchasing weapons from Iran, including Scud and anti-aircraft missiles, rocket launchers, Russian tanks, and even fighter planes. The two countries' armed forces must be prepared to face the common enemy that has been working to undermine stability and cause regional tensions. And I think this is interesting because what we see going on in Lebanon with the Hezbollah terrorist group, uh, it's been traced back that many of their missiles that they've been launching into Haifa and other Israeli cities have come via Syria, via via Iran. Um, so we see that you know, the Iranian arms are probably being shot into Israel as we speak. Sliding into the international community, um, there's been some articles recently about the, the rise of anti-Semitism. Uh, the Bible magazine back in, uh, in October of 2005 had an article, Anti-Semitism on the Rise. I just wanted to read a couple sentences, a couple excerpts from here. Um, Western European powers are becoming increasingly vocal in their support for the Palestinian cause. For a number of nations, particularly in Europe, they lay the root cause of terrorist activity at the feet of Israel. A uh, recent European Union poll said that some 60% of Europeans believe Israel to be the greatest threat to world security. Uh, Ezekiel 38, as we think about the international community, um the verses in Ezekiel 38 probably come out to us. If we look at Dr. Thomas' uh, classic interpretation from Elpis, Israel, we see Gog as a proper name of a ruler. Um, Magog, the geographic region encompassing Russia to Germany. Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, collective names for the Russian Empire. Gomer, uh, I think he equates to France. And with that note, I pulled this article from our local paper that I thought was interesting, Um Just after Hamas took power in Palestine, this article came out. It said an Israeli cabinet minister on Friday accused Russian President Vladimir Putin of stabbing Israel in the back for inviting Hamas militants to Moscow after their decisive victory in Palestinian elections. The invitation is Russia's latest attempt to assert itself in Mideast diplomacy. France expressed support for the Russian plan, which breaks with the U.S. and European Union position, of not dealing with Hamas until the militant group renounces violence and recognizes Israel's right to exist. Again, in Ezekiel 38, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them. Of course, we know Persia equates to modern-day Iran. Uh, My question here is, can we expect to see a confederacy between Russia, and European nations, and some of these Islamic nations. Today, Russia and Iran are allies sharing weapons, oil, technology, as we'll see from the following clips. Uh, Russia has built nuclear Iran nuclear reactors for Iran. Russia openly sells weapons to Iran. In November of last year, the two nations signed a $1 billion arms deal, which the U.S. believed was to help Iran defend its nuclear sites against Israeli strikes. Russia has resisted efforts to bring Iran before the UN Security Council. A couple of other fairly recent articles. Iran rejects call to stop nuclear work. Iranian President Ahmadinejad defied pressure to accept a package of incentives in return for ending all nuclear activity. Any pressure to deprive our people from their right will not bear any fruit. Russian President Vladimir Putin said his country opposes the use of military force against Iran under any circumstances. He also ruled out any immediate discussions of sanctions, leaving open the question of whether Russia would ever support punitive action if Iran persists in resisting demands to suspend its uranium enrichment program. Ayatollah vows to resist pressure. Iran's Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei vowed Thursday to resist Western pressure over his country's disputed nuclear program. Putin emphasized Russia's strong support for Iran. Russia has always been a reliable partner of Iran, Putin said. He said Iran had a right to nuclear energy for peaceful purposes. In response, Ahmadinejad said, our positions are clear and very close to one another, and as I told my young people's class earlier this week, if you think Iran wants nuclear um, energy for peaceful purposes, I've got a big, beautiful piece of land in in uh, Arizona with some ocean front on it that I would be glad to sell you very cheap. The international community, um, continuing on here, back in February, Brother James Fair wrote a, a supplement to the Advocate. Which was titled Prophecy Israel's Coming Isolation. And I wanted to throw one slide in here because I thought it had some very good information. Um, some of the key points that I pulled out of that supplement uh, he uses a verse in Numbers chapter 23, verses 7 through 10, where it says, We can expect Israel to not be reckoned among the nations. Um, and his point is that this could be accomplished in two ways nations removing ambassadors from Israel or Israel being suspended or expelled completely from the United Nations. Uh, He anticipates a major adverse change in the relationship between Israel and America. Of course, America is the primary supporter of Israel. And there was a a recent study that he alluded to, or that he put in there, that talks about how graduate students in America's elite universities, which could be defined as the next generation of leaders, are shifting to a pro-Palestinian view. The data points to America's alliance with Israel not surviving. And as we look at you know, the U.S. already juggling its relationship with these oil-rich Arab nations uh, and the resources that are being drained in the war in Iraq uh, versus the relationship that the U.S. has with Israel, it's interesting to see uh, or to think about what the future holds. So let me go ahead and conclude with some summary points. Promises were made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob regarding the land inheritance from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. Israel is a chosen nation, a special treasure to the Almighty. Israel was chosen for the purpose of being a witness to God's plan of redemption. The role of witness has not changed. Today, the nation continues this relationship as in times past. An aspect of this witness is the prophetic theme of scattering and regathering. Uh, We believe that the final regathering has occurred. Our expectation is that Messiah's return will take place soon after Israel is regathered and abandoned by all nations. Our hope is the same hope, brothers and sisters and friends, of that of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 26 and 28. It is the hope of Israel, it is this belief in Christ's return to the earth, taking his rightful position on David's throne, and establishing a kingdom in the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The apostles ask in the first chapter of Acts, uh, and these are the men that spent their time and their lives with the Messiah. They ask Him at that time, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? That was their hope and their expectation, is that the kingdom would be restored, that had been prophesied and talked about, and the covenants had been made uh, throughout the Scriptures. It's not a matter of if, it is a matter of when, Luke chapter 1, the angel speaking to Mary regarding the birth of Jesus. says, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give Him the throne of His father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. My last slide here, Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountain's and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come to say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways. We shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. We see that this is God's ultimate purpose uh, to manifest His glory to all nations. Verse 3 here in Isaiah 2 calls out Zion. Um, This is a mountain in Jerusalem. As I mentioned, if we look at Strong's Concordance, Zion is a monumental or a guiding pillar. Israel to us is a guiding pillar and a witness of God's plan and motion to all people's And I'll end here with a quote from Brother Harry Whitaker. According to the intensity of a man's expectation and confidence or belief in God's plan, so is his diligence or the actions required to attain this goal. I hope that all of us as we look at events taking place in the Middle East and we look at the nation of Israel can have a renewed and an invigorated expectation and confidence for our Lord's return. Thank you.